This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. Andy Payton is the lead pastor at Methodist Temple United Methodist Church in Evansville, Indiana. Randy Moore is associate pastor at Methodist Temple. Their goal is to see Christ in everything and everyone. Hello, friends. I'm Randy Moore, Pastor Randy Moore, the Randy of this Pastor Podcast. And I'm Andy Payton. I'm the Andy of this Pastor Podcast. <laughs> it's the Randy and Andy Pastors Podcast. So happy to have you all with us. And we'll share with you a little bit of a, a peek or a listen uh, behind the curtain. Because this is a milestone day in the life of our podcast, um, let's briefly tell the story because I think it's pretty cool. Uh, when I got here last July to Methodist Temple, Pastor Andy and I talked about a podcast, and in fact, Pastor Andy had done uh, some some podcasting, uh, but talked about doing it again. But that's all we did was talk about it. And then I don't even—I meant to look this up. I don't even remember when you came to me and said, "Hey, let's let's do the podcast." And I said, "Okay, let me let me uh, research what it would take to get it going." And then as I started that process, it just occurred to me: wait a minute. If we wait to get everything we need to do a podcast, it might take us a long time, much longer than we want to get it going. Let's just do it with my iPhone. And so that's what we've done for all of these weeks. We right. have recorded this podcast. I wish they could have seen how we did this. We One chair next to the other chair with an iPhone switching back and forth right. as we were talking. And we were happy with the audio quality. I mean, this is not a commercial for the iPhone. Right. I'm sure the other phones are just as it good. Did a but pretty good job. Yeah. It did a nice job. The sound was good. But we've gone ahead and gotten a grant uh, from our church, and we've purchased equipment. And we are coming to you today from our podcast studio. It's not finished, um, but... Hey, man, this is a... Uh, it feels so official, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can see your face. We're, we're not looking <laughs> right. past one another. Yeah, yeah. we're not in uh, opposite rows on an airplane, you know, going the other way. But, um, and it'll, you know, it'll get better and better all the time. Uh, a shout out to Chris Payne from our congregation, um, who has the knowledge about a lot of this stuff and, and helped us get this going. In fact, he got us set up today. So it is. It's a milestone day in the in the life of the podcast, and look for 2025 when we when we really do intend to add video, and so it's exciting. And uh, just briefly, the reason why we do this is um, to dig a little deeper, mm-hmm. right? To dig a little deeper. A sermon, uh, while it might have some teaching, a teaching and a sermon are really two different things, and we can we can just go. Uh, more deeply uh, when we have when we have thirty or forty minutes, you know. Well, I to, find I learn things. Yeah. just sitting here talking with you, Randy, like yeah. and processing it and sure. having a conversation. It's like a two way street in a podcast. In a right. sermon, it's like a one way street. It's we get up, we make a presentation, and um, hopefully connect to folks in some way as we do that. But this is just different because I don't know. I I find I'm learning as I go along in a much more natural type of way doing a podcast. I know that I am too. And selfishly, I mean, uh, the, the people who preach and the people who teach are the ones who get so much out of it. You know, that's just kind of the way it goes because of all the preparation that goes into it. But we hope, I mean, the, the point of the whole thing is that our people get something out of not only the sermon. I mean, the sermon is a special moment. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's a means we hope grace. that... Yes. I, I would call it a means of grace. Yes, it's absolutely. An absolutely a God 
moment. Some more so than others. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah, because they are <laughs> right. God might be somewhat limited by yeah. the messenger, right? But right. uh but Well this a, morning I was running and and uh for whatever reason the idea popped in my head how many times I've gotten up and I've preached a sermon <laughs> and someone comes up to me after worship and they're like, Boy, this really spoke to me and they start talking about what they think I said and I'm right. like, Well, I didn't say that but and it's an example of how it, it's a means of grace. God will use that to right. help us to hear what we need to hear in that moment. Yeah, yeah. Sure. our people will hear something else, something that we didn't Spirit think that moves. we saw. Absolutely. So that's where that two-way communication comes in. But this, you know, what we want to do here is we look back at last week's sermon and we look forward to the sermon that's coming up on the, uh, on the next Sunday as a way of, uh, as, as we said, digging deeper and helping to make it stick. You know, we've said that many times, but... That's important even for pastors who can sometimes, uh, just in the busyness of the ministry, kind of forget your own messages. And um, so this is good. And we're happy that you're that you're with us. Go ahead. Oh, well, just the thing <laughs> that popped in my mind, Randy, was have you ever gone back and looked at some of your old sermons that you preached like 10 years ago or right. something? Um, I don't like to. Um, no, it's <laughs> it's brutal because you're like, I didn't say that, did I? I I'm like, boy, that... You know, the, the people in the congregation at that time, they were some grace-filled people to put up with me. And uh, it's amazing, though, how it does. Uh, you go back and you look at your old sermons, you think how much God has evolved and, and your journey with God has changed over time. Yeah. And thank God that the Holy Spirit is involved because your story about someone coming up to you after the service, uh, I thought what you were going to say was that before they got there, that you were beating yourself up over the sermon that you just gave. Well, that's I've done that. That happens lot. quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> me, me too. Yeah. And then to, to hear from even just one person, yeah. hey. That spoke you, to me. Yeah. yeah. It's like, whew, okay, good. God, sure. God worked. Sure. Okay. All right. Hey, we're in the Christmas season. I love uh, the Christian calendar because this is Wednesday uh, after New Year's Day. Guess what? We're still in the Christmas mm-hmm. season uh, in the church. Christmas season doesn't start until Christmas Eve in the church, and it goes for 12 days, right? The 12 days of Christmas, it goes to Epiphany, January 6th. With, uh, this year is on Saturday. Um, and while the rest of the culture moves on, they're long past you know Christmas by now, uh, we then get to dwell in it. And it's the season of the incarnation. Mm-hmm. The incarnation is not one day. It's not even these 12 days. It, it, the incarnation is is every day uh, to be it's celebrated. The foundation, yeah, it's the fa- it, this is the foundation. This these twelve days, the theological point of this season is the incarnation of or the the foundation of Christian spirituality. I, I find um I don't know about you, Randy, but as Christmas comes along, this is my favorite. Yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. it it's just so good. It does. And I mentioned this last week, you were out uh, enjoying some rest and I went solo last week and and I mentioned how good our services were though. That was a high point. Christmas Eve was a major high point. But to your point, that was a beginning point. Didn't end. Mm -hmm. Keeps on going. You know, it keeps on going and you're not, uh, we are not, you know, uh, dealing with all the other things that we deal with as as Christmas approaches. So, um, yeah. So Epiphany and I'll just ask you because I haven't looked forward. Of course, you've been working on this sermon series on the 25 Articles of Religion, but with with Epiphany on Saturday, mm-hmm. will Methodist Temple be observing Epiphany Sunday or Baptism of the Lord Sunday? <laughs> Maybe, and, and it might just come through liturgically because your sermon is on 
one of the articles. Yeah, uh, well, that's the challenge with doing a series and then contending with the yeah. liturgical calendar. Yeah. Um, it'll have a little bit of all of that, probably. In typical Andy-type fashion, I'll try to incorporate where we're at in the Christian year, but also I want to honor the series we're in. And so, yeah, yeah, we'll see. I, it's still very early. Uh, <laughs> this is a short week. We just got back. I just got back to the office today. It's Wednesday. I'm just back in the office now. And and so we'll see what we come up with by Sunday. So, I wanted to share something from um, a woman by the name of Robin Knowles Wallace, and she wrote a book called The Christian Year, and we've been talking about the Christian Year, and the Christian Year doesn't line up exactly with the calendar that we are used to. And uh, I just want to read a couple of paragraphs because the last line just hit home in such a tremendous way. Uh, I, I just want to share it. So she writes... Uh, there are two primary theories regarding the setting of Christmas on December 25th in the Western Church rather than the Eastern Church's celebration at Epiphany. And at this point in history, both are still held. The first, often called the history of religions theory, suggests the Christians took over a Roman secular holiday near the winter solstice. The second, called the computation or calculation hypotheses, was posed by French Christian historian Louis Duchesne in 1889 and 1903 and revived in the 20th century by Thomas J. Talley. The reasoning is that Jesus would have been conceived on the same date that he died. This was eventually set on March 25th, and nine months later would be December 25th. Whichever theory you believe, it is true that some solstice observances have crept into Christmas with trees, candles, and yule logs. When Christmas became its own celebration in the West, it was celebrated with three services, a midnight mass of the angels, a dawn mass of the shepherds, and a midday mass of the incarnation. This last line I want to share is where I think it really connects into what we've been trying to do here at Methodist Temple. The days between Christmas and Epiphany were claimed by the church as a time to live into God's incarnation in Christ and to love the Christ in all persons. I see Christ in you. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. And I always wonder why it's hard for folks not to trust that there is a spark of Christ in all people. It's the foundation of Christian faith. It, right. You know, we're not, we're not um, receiving something that's not already there. It's there. We're becoming aware of it. And that's what Christmas is supposed to do. It, invites us to become aware of the Christ that's already there, always there, and they uh, claim the sacred value of yourself but all people at the same time. And we've gone so far off of that that we find ourselves having to apologize for using that, that phrase when it, I mean, it's just right there. It is the central message of Christianity. Yeah. yeah. We're an incarnational people. Yeah. yeah. Just say it very simply. This, this is it. This is the arena. Um, God is not waiting to be discovered somewhere else. God is right here, right now, in the depths of our own being and uh, shining through the world around us and the people around us all the time. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah. We might want to hit on uh, the sermons that have been preached through the season. We won't go into, into them any any great depth. We don't have that much time. But maybe just to hit some some high points, it was another interesting quirk of the calendar this year that the fourth Sunday in Advent fell on Christmas Eve. So here at Methodist Temple, we had three services. We had a combined service at 10 o'clock in the morning, and then we had our 
Christmas Eve services at 4 and at 7. And I preached on that morning service, that combined service. And um, I'm one who likes to try to, even though I realize you're going to squish Advent and and Christmas together, our culture does that, and we and we go along with that to a certain degree. But I try to at least kind of mm-hmm. uh, remind people that hey, you know what, this Advent is important, and uh, and so I stuck with that Advent lesson. And every Advent, the fourth Sunday in Advent, has to do with those events immediately preceding the birth of Jesus. And this year, it was the Annunciation to Mary by the Gabriel, uh, angel Gabriel. Uh, that she was going to be the one who was favored by the Lord, and uh, she was going to give birth to the Savior. And uh, Luke, no matter what lectionary year we're in, Luke has the Christmas story. Um, I mean, we we use Matthew. Um, in fact, Epiphany comes comes from Matthew. That's the visit of the, of the Magi. But this is the story from Luke, uh, which is told through the eyes of of Mary. In Matthew, it comes through the eyes of Joseph. Joseph, I don't believe Joseph even speaks in uh, here. Um, so the angel comes and says that you're going to, you know, God has found favor with you and you're going to conceive in your womb and bear a son and, and you will name him Jesus. And she had to ponder that for a minute. Uh, but then she just said, here I am. Uh, let it be, you know, let it be to me uh, according to your word. And in my message, the, the point I wanted to make was we have so revered Mary and even in the Protestant Church, we haven't revered Mary to the extent that our Catholic brothers and sisters uh, re- revere her, but she rightly should be revered, but not to the point that we can't emulate her because she was human. And my message was, she said yes, uh, and we can say yes. You know, we can. She said yes to bearing Christ to the world. That's the that's the incarnation. Um, this kind of blows me away when I think about it. Uh, like she literally gave Jesus his flesh. She literally gave him his his humanity, and then bore that humanity uh, more than humanity, but bore Jesus, the Savior, uh, to the world. And um, men and women can can let Christ grow within them, and and then bear Christ to the world. And yeah. bear Christ to the world. Well, she's a perfect. I'll, I look at this moment in the Christmas narrative, the nativity, through the lens of like it's an allegory almost, a symbol, if you will, for our own spiritual formation. Like Mary, we are called to consent. We're called to say yes. If Mary did not say yes, Jesus would not have been born, really, in the way that he was. If Mary right. did not take care of him, he would not have grown to the person he would become later on. So, in some ways, Jesus was Christ being born into the world was contingent upon Mary's yes. Absolutely, it's such a challenge. Yeah, and, to us, like and contingent on our saying yes. Yeah, we have to say yes. God's. It's almost as if it's saying like God is waiting on us. Mm-hmm. Perfect. God's got a lot of time on God's hands, as far as I can tell. <laughs> and so God says, "Okay, I'll wait. I'll wait for you to say yes. Yeah, wait for you to go forth. Wait for you." Uh, to embody this. And And I don't want to downplay the role of Mary because, okay, I'm going to give her her due. But what I like to think is that you said, if Mary said no, maybe someone, you know, maybe someone else would say yes. The fact that she's gone down in history is the fact that she did say yes. I think the same thing about Abraham. Like, you know, he said, he, Abraham said, yes, I'll get up and I'll go. 
Now, if Abraham had said no, the father of you know those th three um, religions would be somebody else. You know, uh, so it's not that. That's kind of the point I want to make: is we revere these people as if they had the special thing where they did this, but what they did was just say yes. Well, yeah. and, and I got to be careful how I phrase this, but rather than worshiping the person, mm -hmm. we say yes to the journey. Yeah that their example invites us into. That's the bigger point um, that I think this story is making and some of the other stories leading up to the birth of Jesus is making. You mentioned Joseph. He said yes as well. Yeah. And that, and, oh, man. And Joseph's he had every story, reason not to say. He had yes. every reason not to say. And my favorite line, and most of what we know about Joseph comes more from Matthew, but um, it says that because he was a righteous man, that's what the text says. Because he's a righteous man, he broke the rules right. and the customs of the time. I love that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it gives us another way of seeing what it means to say yes to the call of Christ. And and as I thought about your sermon um, on Christmas Eve morning, as I reflected on it, I, I came away pondering, well, what is Christ calling Andy to say yes to? What's Christ calling Andy to do? What's Christ calling Andy to say? And we each would do well during this season of Christmas to think about that. What, what, is, what is it that God's waiting on us to do? And for me, um, one of the ways to discern that really is to reflect on, well, what won't go away? Yes. It, it just keeps coming back. And I feel like that's a lot of times how God speaks. You say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And that same thing comes back. And then you, you run away from it for a while and you come back maybe a couple days later, a couple months later, some of us maybe a couple years later, and you, and you say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And there it is again. You've been hitting on that theme. Uh, and I'm not talking about it in a redundant way. It may be a repetitive way, but, but it's where you are right now. That theme of you looking for God? Well, just look for God in your life. As your life comes... Your, steamrolling at you, you know, in whatever shape it's at. Mm -hmm. I mean, look for God, that, that God's in it. One of our colleagues asks, you know, a question, you know, how do you make time for God? And uh, that's a question we all have. Or, or, you know, we don't really, in one sense, we don't really have to make time for God because God is with us all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Conversion is, for me, um, conversion is less about adopting a whole new religious system. Mm -hmm. Conversion is a much more about adopting a whole new life attitude. Mm -hmm. And once you make that pivot and see your life differently in that way, that makes all the difference in the world. It really does. And that's, I told my wife yesterday, and I was like, I sometimes get, and, I, and it almost gets frustrating sometimes. I, I hate to use that term, but anyway, like, I don't want to create the next shiny thing. I don't want to create the next big performance event. I'm not interested in being on the stage. What I'm, what I'm interested in is inviting people to allow the light to come on and to see, hey, my life's part of the bigger life. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. And, and once we do that, uh, it alleviates so much of the suffering that we experience in our lives. You mentioned conversion, and it made me think about something that I said in my sermon, but it wasn't from me. Uh, my sermon was actually motivated by um, an 
first half of the 20th century mystic in England. Um, her name is Carol Hauslander, and she said that Mary's yes is conversion. Th that's the definition of conversion. Yes. <laughs> what is conversion? Yes. That, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Take me. Use me. Do what okay. you will with me. Yeah. Yeah. Not my will, yours be done. Yeah. 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 It's beautiful. Okay. We could go on and on about that. Um, you preached on Christmas Eve. Again, um, a shout out to everybody at Methodist Temple. Um, you know, the ones who read, the ones who played the music, the ones who sang. We had voices that came through that night. I didn't even know those people sang. And th that was, uh, that was, it was really, just wonderful. It was a special night. Yeah. yeah. Your sermon was just kind of a sidelight. No, I'm just kidding. no it, I, I feel like it was. Yeah, yes, it was, it was a, a good speed bump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you talked about. So I I really like this, and this was a real attention uh, grabbing thing. You you defined winter, yeah. and if you're gonna, I'm I'm a journalist. If you if you ask me to define winter, I would say, well, that starts on uh, December 21st, and the temperatures generally average 42 degrees for the for the high, and uh, you know about 25 degrees for the low. Sometimes it snows. That's the way I would define winter. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> I played on words a little bit and yeah. instead of a matter of fact kind of way, I yeah. used it as a, as a way to convey spiritual attitude of a person at the, the temperature of our spiritual selves. And uh, the beginning of my sermon, I kind of said winter comes in many forms. You know, it could be in our attitude towards the world or attitude towards our neighbor. Uh, it could be that we're grieving a loss and we get, if we're not careful, we get stuck in winter and we get stuck in the darkness of that winter. And, and the thing that I struggled with the most, every, every Christmas Eve, it's hard to come up with a homily because it's such a familiar tale. It's, I mean, everyone has their own, they know what it's going to say. They right. know what we're going to do. And so there's this, I don't know, expectation really. But uh, the, this year, as I reflected on my homily and this idea that we can get stuck in winter, I begin to think then, well, what is winter then spiritually? And then I moved into this idea of the darkness, you know, to have the light, you have to have a little bit of darkness, too, to see the light. And what is darkness? And, and for me, as I thought more, more and more about it, darkness is about getting caught in that place where you tell yourself no one cares. Mm -hmm. No one sees me. No one hears me. That's the darkness. And once you understand that's the darkness, then the light of Christ shining into the world makes sense. Because in Christ, of course, God's saying, I care. I'm with you. I love you. Uh, which is the gift of Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. The darkness, uh, the light is always somewhere out there in the darkness. We just can't see it, right? Uh, I love that uh, analogy about the clouds, like on a cloudy day. And uh, if you're going to use it metaphorically, you know, you're having a, a cloudy day. That doesn't mean the sun's not shining behind it. The sun's still shining behind Making it. Making it possible for you yeah. to see the clouds you <laughs> right. begin with, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So what else? Uh, on, on Christmas Eve, um, yeah, you said that it, uh, Jesus helps us know that we can go through the darkness. Jesus says, I see you, I hear you, I love you, and, and you described him as the perfect gift. Yeah, yeah, well, and what makes him the perfect gift for me is not that this child that was born 2,000 years ago solves all our problems. We have problems in our lives, even to this moment, even to this day, and life's a struggle. I don't want to sidestep any of the, those things. But what Jesus invites us to realize is in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the problems, we don't go alone. There's a presence that goes with us. And, and God's so serious about us understanding that and knowing that God becomes flesh and enters our world, walks among us so that we might, we might see it. 
Um, I would go as far to say um, what God does in Jesus is what God has always done from the beginning of time. Stop and think about that. What God does in Jesus is just who God is. God's always healing. God's always forgiving. God's always inclusive. God's always calling new life out of death. All those things that we see in Jesus do, him doing, God has always been doing. Um, and that's true for us even to this moment. God's been doing all those things for us, regardless if we even know it, know it or not, it's there. It's there. There's a story in one of the Gospels where uh, I find it fascinating. Jesus heals like, I think it was 10 lepers. Nine go away, and only one comes back and says, thank you. Yeah. So only one actually experiences the conversion. They say yes, uh, but the nine, they still experience the healing, though. It was there. God did it. Right. Uh, but the one acknowledged it, which, of course, that's the invitation, um, is to acknowledge these things that God's always doing. You refer to the the lighting of the candles, and, of course, that's always so. Really, really special moment. I mean, it never grows old, right? I told somebody as people were gathering for the seven o'clock service on Christmas Eve out in the congregation, I said, I I love being at church at night because we're rarely in church at night and there is darkness there. Mm -hmm. um, but the room is lighted up by by those candles. Mm -hmm. there, there's a kind of a darkness, but the light shines through there. Yeah, it's it's just... And that's, I think that's one of the reasons I love this season so much is because the symbolism of the season is so perfect, so perfect. And um, one thing I'll say about light shining into darkness, much like Mary giving birth to Jesus or any other spiritual metaphor you want to use, we don't know how it's going to happen necessarily. That's the catch. <laughs> um, we have to get our own expectations out of the way to see the light and to let the life shine. Can't emphasize that enough. So much of the time when we pray, for example, we pray and we tell God, God, this is what you need to do. And that's it. We call it prayer. Right. Um, and there's nothing wrong with sharing our heart with God and, and those kinds of things. But um, really what prayer is meant to do is to, again, cultivate that new life attitude, that posture of receptivity. And to say, I don't know how your light's going to shine. I'm going to trust it is going to shine. I don't know where your life's going to come. I know your life is going to come and be a part of my life today. Let me have eyes to see it. That's more the posture of prayer. It's more that receptivity. I mean, that's the definition of faith, right? Uh, when you talked about uh, people going to prayer and asking God for things, it made me think of a, a story I love from Tony Campolo. He, he tells a story about when his son was a little boy. Uh, it was bedtime, and he's climbing the stairs to go up to his bedroom, and he stops and turns around. And he says, hey, I'm going to go upstairs and go to bed, and I'm going to pray. Anybody need anything? <laughs> well, that's good. Well, that's true, though, right? Right. And then it doesn't happen. Typically, right. it doesn't happen the way that you ask. Sometimes God does respond to our request. Don't get me wrong, but most of the time, in my experience, it doesn't quite happen the way I requested it. And so does that mean God didn't answer your prayers? That kind of Shuts down the relationship if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. Oh, it absolutely does. This ties into what I'm going to do uh, in between Sunday, in, in between worship services. Um, once a quarter, we have all of our Sunday schools get together in the fellowship hall, and I'm going to do a teaching uh, this Sunday on, um, on Walter Brueggemann's uh, little book, "The Spirituality of the Psalms," and and he um, he categorizes. He has this scheme where he categorizes uh, psalms of orientation. 
psalms of disorientation and psalms of new orientation or, or new life. And it ties into what we're talking about right here because there are times when things are oriented. Creation is, you know, it's oriented. Um, but then if you live long enough and you don't have to live very long, there's disorientation or darkness. Mm-hmm. And Christianity says, okay, it's dark, but it's going to get light again. That's, you know, that's faith. But Brueggemann made the point that when, because we don't tell people this, that that's part of what it means to be human and part of what it means to be Christian, that dark times are going to come. People will check out of church. Not everyone. Some are drawn to church in dark times. But some people will check out of church to take care of their stuff until somehow the light comes back and then they can come back. Mm-hmm. But we we should be right there for people who are going through darkness because they're we're well, all just going to go. It's precisely in that moment where it is dark and life is disorientating. We're disorientated by something that happened. In our, that's where faith kicks in. Right. And what faith really does in those moments is, okay, it didn't go as expected. It didn't go as planned. Um, I didn't get the job or whatever it may be. That door shut. What's the new door that's going to be open? Now, I trust the life's going to be here. I trust the light's going to come. But what happens a lot of times when we are too, um, we've got our expectations. We've got a hold of our expectations. We're, 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 we're too in love with our own expectations, our own pride, really. Mm-hmm. It just shuts the whole thing down. Yeah. But yeah. The, the one that's kind of learned faith, um, this guy named Carver McGriff one time. You know who Carver McGriff is? That was George Purnell's pastor yeah, in Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. watching a video. He's like, he's almost 100 years old now. Right. But he talked about, and he's he'd gone through a lot of things in his life. He went through World War II. Yeah. Was, I think he was in Normandy. imprisoned at one point, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, lost a wife to a, a car accident. Mm-hmm. He went through a lot of different things. And one of the phrases, as I watched him kind of tell a story in a video once, he said, he goes, I had to learn my relationship with God. I had to learn a relationship with God. I think what we're kind of ta- we're trying to talk yeah. about is learning our relationship with relationship. God. Like, yeah. you know, it's never going to go as planned. But that's the point. We're being guided by something else. Mm-hmm. Someone else. And and we're able to do the merry thing in those moments. Say, hey, I'm going to let it be here. I know it's going to happen. No life's going to come. It's almost like I'm, I'm unstoppable because I'm a part of this other greater power. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, it's illustrated in the life of Jesus, of course. It should be as yeah. plain as the, as plain as the uh, nose on our faces that uh, there was orientation, the Word made flesh, disorientation, the cross, new orientation, the resurrection. Yeah, but you don't stay there, right? Yeah. That's the yeah. catch. You don't yeah. really. It's a, and it's yeah. gonna the, it's gonna happen again. The pattern yeah, and it can all be happening at the same time. I mean, yeah, this is a, yeah. this is a, a scheme, but it's not rigid. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah it could be cyclical or, yeah, yeah. a lot of it could, could be going on at the same time. Uh, we probably ought to wrap this up. I know you've got somewhere to be, and I do too, but let me just talk quickly about the, uh, the uh, sermon for the first Sunday after Christmas, and that's uh, I'll mention it because, again, how much I love the, <laughs> the Christian calendar and we're still in Christmas, you know, the Sunday after Christmas. And then I want to let you do a little bit of a preview because you're going to return to the 25 Articles of Religion and tell us about, and tell us a bit about that. But um, the, um, the lesson, again, was from Luke. It was from the uh, second chapter of Luke about Simeon and Anna. When Jesus and Mary 
this is an interesting thing, and I never did get a definitive answer on this, because verse 21, we started this at verse 22, when Joseph and Mary went to uh, the temple in Jerusalem for her purification and for the uh, presentation of Jesus. But the verse 21 speaks of Jesus being eight days old and his circumcision. It almost sounds like they were done at the same time um, because he doesn't come back then in verse 22 and then say 40 days later, which is what it would have been. The purification of the mother would have been 40 days after the birth. So, I mean, that's just a technicality. But but anyway, all it, it, all of this is about... Um, the response to Jesus, um, the dedication of his parents, and the, that they were, you know, devoutly observant Jews, and they and they did everything that the law uh, asked them to do. And then when they get there, and he is presented, and then these two old people. Uh, we know she's old. Uh, we know Anna's old because the text says she's eighty-four, even though she might. This is a textual thing, but she might actually be one hundred and six. Either way, she would be elderly. We don't know how old Simeon is because um, this text doesn't say, but Simeon is balanced with Zechariah. Luke uses these pairs. And so if Luke is pairing up Simeon and and, uh, Zechariah, then Simeon is old because uh, Simeon and Elizabeth were old. Um, And so what what I said, the point I wanted to make was the value value of... um, wisdom that comes with age. It doesn't automatically come with age, but but you don't get it without it. I mean, you don't have a, uh, this is not an insult to anybody, but it'd be the rare person that would have much wisdom at 20 or 25 or 30. I mean, you just got to go to the school of hard knocks. And, and then these were two people who were uh, full of wisdom. Uh, they, they called Anna a, a, a prophet. That in itself, is, we, should, we should take note of. But, uh, and I just pondered, you know, the influence that the two of them had on Mary and Joseph. Um, and, you know, I just, I also pondered, you know, whether, whether Jesus was, you know, held his full divinity there, there in the manger, or was it a process of growth and development? Because it, because the text actually ends that, that the child grew and became strong and, and filled w- with wisdom so that uh, he did benefit by the love and care of others including uh, Anna and Simeon. And in the church today, and, and even in our church, we have lots of Annas and Simeons. Mm-hmm. We have lots of Annas and Yeah, that's a great way to look at it, Randy. Uh, you almost see, like, as you get older, you see your own call in their lives. Mm-hmm. Here are these people who are clearly elders, mm-hmm. um, and that culture would have been revered differently, much more differently than they we revere older people in our culture today, but exactly. in that ancient culture, the older you got, the wiser you were seen, and mm-hmm. you were elevated in many ways. So here you have these two folks coming along, celebrating what God's doing in the young people. Right. You know, think about that. I mean, that's, yeah. that's really good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've said it to my wife a lot of different times. When I get older, the thing I want to be more than anything else is an encourager. I want to. My job is to become a cheerleader. And they're almost like cheerleaders, aren't they? They're like, this is great, Joseph. This is wonderful, Mary. Go for it, you know? When I'm sure it would have been difficult. Um, For them, Mary and Joseph, I'm sure they're not just filled with confidence quite yet either. Uh, They got a hard road ahead. Right. And so here comes Simeon and Anna celebrating what God's doing in 
in both of the uh, Joseph and Mary's lives, and of course Jesus's life as well. And and yeah. so you just find there's so much rich meaning and invitation in that moment. Yeah, and the Christmas season gives us the time to take a little little time yeah. for those. Let me celebrate the Christ in you. Yeah. Right? yeah. What's my job? Well, I'm going to celebrate the Christ in you. I'm going to say where I see Christ in you. I'm going to, I'm going to celebrate that and yeah. give God praise for that. That's my mission. That's what I'm called to do. I'll wrap up this part of, uh, with a quote from John Wesley that I that I used in my sermon. And John Wesley lived like for the entirety of the 17th uh I mean, the 18th century, he, he was born, what, in 1701 and died in 17... Something like 1703. Yeah, he was well into his, he was 80s, in yeah. his late 80s, I think, when he died. Yeah, so he was still, um, he was still working, you know, you know in, into his 80s. And he said this about, about that. He said, let the example of these aged saints animate those whose hoary heads like theirs are a crown of glory. Of course, he's speaking about Anna and Simeon, and hoary means gray, so let me read it again. Let the example of these aged saints animate those whose gray heads like theirs are a crown of glory. And you spoke to that, that we don't we don't see our elderly people generally with crowns of glory, yeah. but they they deserve them. They they've, absolutely They've earned do. them, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, one of the most difficult things that you and I will get into as pastors is person will get to the point where they're no longer able to take care of themselves end up going to a facility a nursing home kind of place and we'll go see them and they'll say i don't know why i'm here and it's hard to answer that question right and the reason they're here of course is to well uh, to show forth god's presence in their life and who they are and right and uh, and yeah. to be a witness to others and how they live even up to the end i yeah. yeah, it always concerns me about when we try to get our people charged up about getting out there and, and going to work and coming for this and coming for that. And then the elderly people, they just can't do it. Right. But they can pray. You know, they can do what pray. you were, they, yeah. be encouragers. They can write notes. You know? A person that enters their zone yeah, enters um, a grace-filled presence, a grace-filled um member of the body of Christ, really, in a very real sense, every person enters that room is entering Christ's presence, or at least could be, mm-hmm. and how that they, that elderly person receives the people that come their way. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, and I will say this also, the folks that are in the facility and are still yet able to be joyful, their lives preach the gospel much more than any sermon. Mm-hmm. Holy moly. It's yeah. holy when you go in there and they're like, grateful, joyful, you're like, you come away from that thinking, I think I might have got more out of that visit than they did just because they were so inspiring. Yeah, there's another grace that uh, that God gives that I read this from Wesley years ago, and I haven't been able to find it, so I'm going to paraphrase it. But I thought about it in the context of a visit I made to one of our people, one of our people with gray hair, and this person, and I was explaining uh, to him, I was kind of giving him a little bit of a preview of the sermon that, that I was going to do about Mary's uh, uh, let it be. And he, his eyes widened. He goes, that's where I am. He goes, I, I'm at that point where it's just, you know, let it, let it be. He goes, I wasn't, uh, even a few years ago, he said, I really wasn't ready uh, to die. But now it's like, if that's what you know, if that's what God has for me, then then let it be. And um, I wish I had that quote. I couldn't find it. Maybe you know it. But Wesley said something like that. That's a grace that's given. Mm-hmm. You and I don't have that grace yet. I'm, you know, I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready at all. If, if I said I was not afraid of death, I would be. Yeah. You know, 
I wouldn't be honest completely, um, but it's a grace that comes. Well, there's a, a quote that came to my mind as you were talking. This is not a Wesley one, but I think it kind of captures the spirit of this conversation. The role of each generation is that we would live our lives in such a way that the next generation could have hope. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? Part of that is how we die. We die with grace mm-hmm. and dignity mm-hmm. and faith. Yeah. And we slip on into heaven in that way. And we won't ever know it, probably, how much impact we can have on other people in the way we, we do that. But that's really like back to this whole thing about rolling with the punches and going through life's changes and that, that kind of thing. That's really where faith is manifested, is when we're in the midst of a crucifixion, mm-hmm. how we respond. Yeah. Well, so much for a short take on all of these. Uh, how about trying a short take on this Sunday and the next and the next article? I know you've looked forward, uh, lo- looked ahead <laughs> because yeah. it's Wednesday, right? I have it. I don't know what the article is. It's about marriage. Okay, marriage of ministers. Right. Okay, um, and I'm like, well, that's a tough one. I mean, uh, that's a that's a conversation that the church has been having for quite a long time. Should clergy be married? And uh, Protestant church, of course, says yes to that. And and uh, so the thing I'm gonna uh, talk about in my sermon on Sunday, at least at, at this point, what's on my mind is the importance of being willing to change and change well. The church over the course of history has changed over over time and evolved, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. And, and so in the midst of our lives that are filled with changes, how do we change? Change well. Very good. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, friends, for, for listening. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Just know that you're invited to Join us here at Methodist Temple anytime you want to. Maybe you have a, a home church. That's that's great. But if you don't, just know that you're welcome here. We uh, also worship virtually. You could uh, worship with us that way. Uh, we worship at, at uh, 8.30 on Sunday mornings and, and then again at 11. And so, yeah, we'd love to see you. And we really appreciate having you listen to our, to listen to our podcast. So have a great week. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Epiphany. God is with us. God bless you all. God bless you. This has been the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. You are welcome to join us at Methodist Temple in person or online. Methodist Temple is at 2109 Lincoln Avenue in Evansville, Indiana. Our traditional Sunday morning worship service is at 830 with our contemporary service at 11. Log on to our website at methodisttemple.church. We see Christ in you.